Welcome back to CodingCat.dev, where we give you cats the freshest dose of dev snacks. Here is Alex Patterson and Brittany Postma. This episode brought to you by Storyblock. Build anything and publish everywhere. Welcome back, everyone, to CodingCat.dev. Today on the show, we have Penguin with us, who is the creator of MD Specs. Hey, Penguin. How's it going? Hey, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, people might get weirded out. Do you want to just say your real name one time, and then we can go back to Penguin? Yeah, yeah. I'm Pete. Peter, Pete Allen. That's my full name. There you go. It's always such a struggle. I remember one of the first episodes we did was with uh, Swix, who we were just looking at on the repo, and it's like, do I call you Sean? Do I call you Swix? Like, what's happening right now? <laughs> so it's always one of those fun things. Um, so I just we want to learn a little bit more about you. Um, so was MD Specs kind of your first major open source project that you built? Uh, how did you get into this whole field? Yeah, I, I guess it was. Um, I had other kind of projects and stuff, but obviously nothing has taken off um, like this, I think. Um, yeah, I've always been kind of... MDX was, you know, the React kind of markdown, React kind of combo was was the inspiration, um, kind of without question. And... I've just don't like I don't know, I think I think where I kind of had a really good experience with it was in ViewPress. Like a really old version of ViewPress had, you know, this way you could write markdown and just include components and it just worked. And it was such a nice kind of experience to kind of augment your markdown with these kind of interactive widgets. And we just had a kind of a chat in. We were in the Svelte Discord and we were just kind of chatting about it. And how it might work and all this sort of thing. And it's actually really straightforward because um, because in Markdown, pretty much everything is valid in Markdown, but HTML is valid in Markdown. It will just get rendered as HTML right. and be ignored. And Svelte is basically just HTML. So all you need to do is you don't really need to do anything too special um, to get a you know piece of Markdown working as a as a piece of HTML, which will then work as a piece of Svelte because Svelte will happily um, compile any HTML. So it's kind of just a conversation of how it could be implemented. And it was, I mean, the, the first version was just a pretty basic, like a, just a bunch of regexes. Um, and and it kind of grew from there. For, for a long time, nobody cared about MD Specs until I kind of did a website with a walking penguin and then <laughs> everybody loved uh, MD Specs. Nobody likes the name except me. But that's another that's another topic. I I always mess up the name a hundred percent of the time. I think I'm finally like getting used to it. Um, but as you said, like it, it used to be MDX or is MDX on the React side, and so um, adding the Svelte component kind of in the middle there uh, is important. I think uh, in most cases you do uppercase MD uppercase X to kind of separate it all back out together. So yeah, I thought it was fun. But people, uh, I think Rich called me a reprobate for the name, uh, <laughs> which is very outspoken against the name. But, you know, you just got to double down. You just got to commit. So here's here's the uh, famous walking penguin site, um, which which has the documentation for MD Specs as well. So let me bump that up so people can see it a little better. So yeah, I I think what's Awesome about this. We we were using Next.js and we had MDX running on that side. We would actually do. Um, during compile time, we would actually run it at that phase instead of like pre-built 
type of thing mm -hmm. if that makes sense uh on this felt side it's, it's really interesting as you said it's kind of like you still run through um remark and what's the other one uh rehype yes rehype thank you um and so it still kind of executes those but it's all done basically on the server side and it's super fast and performant um it seems like so i just want to walk people through the basics and uh let's let's just take a look so Essentially, this walking penguin right here, at the end of the day, in a markdown file, you have just the H1 coming out, some text as you have here, but this is where the magic kind of happens, right? So what does writing something like this actually look like? Is it easiest to show it in the docs or? Um, when you say writing, you mean writing... As, a, as an author using MD specs or... Yeah, so if, if I, we'll get to this, but on, on CodingCat, if I'm to write this markdown file and I want to include this penguin component, what's, there's got to be more to it, right? Than just, hey, here's some magic uh, text, do something yeah. with this, right? There is, yeah, you'd need <laughs> to import it. So one of the nice things about MD specs, well, I mean, I guess it divides opinion to a degree, but one of the... I guess, difficulties with something like MDX. It has a slightly different syntax to both Markdown and to kind of React. You, know, you can have these Burr import statements in um, in MDX, but in MD specs, it's essentially, it mimics the kind of the shape of a Svelte file. So if you can write Svelte and you can write Markdown, all you need to do is start replacing your H1s with kind of, you know, however many kind of like hashes that you want and so on and so forth. So if you want to bring in any components, you can just create a script tag and import them. Now, obviously, because um, so it depends how you use MD specs on a computer. There are two ways to use it, I guess. But the way it's intended to be used is as a preprocessor. So you write your files and then, you know, the you know, you give them their extension and they're just treated as Svelte files. So they become Svelte components. And when you do that, any kind of plugins that you have will also get kind of executed in that kind of tool chain. So if you had an auto import, because this is a thing in, in Vite, is this auto import thing where you can kind of use components without importing them, as long as you kind of, you know, follow some, follow some rules and add some config to your Vite plugin. So potentially, if you use those kinds of things, you could get away with using components that you haven't imported. But in terms of just raw kind of MD specs, you would, I think there's an example at the very top of the docs of importing a chart component. I think it's just after this oh, right here. So like here, you would import a chart and then you would just use it as a normal component and just pop it in a script tag. Nice. And that's all um, typically done, like you were explaining, um, the preprocessor in this case, like Vite's running this and and kind of it needs to understand both that this is a a svelte component at the end of the day but it's also doing pre-processing for front matter and for the all of the markdown too right yeah so all of that's handled by md specs itself and so this uses svelte's own pre-process method okay. um so i think in the svelte v plugin you'd pass MD specs into the kind of the pre-process um, kind of, I guess it's an object with a pre-process um, property and you'd pass MD specs in the, and then because of how kind of, you know, plugins, the way plugins chain is that, you know, if the MD specs gets con converted into Svelte and there's a, 
you know, there's a there's a plugin or a transform or something for Svelte, it will just kind of treat it as a normal Svelte file. So you, it means you can use most, there are, you know, there's some bugs and some limitations at the minute that will be resolved in a future version. But anything that you can use in a Svelte component, in principle, there's no real reason why you shouldn't be able to use that in in MD specs as well. That's assuming it doesn't actually kind of break MD specs anyway, because you can't currently use TypeScript in an MD specs component. But... Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Mm. Okay. Um, so I think what we'll do now, I'll take a quick break for a sponsor break. And when we come back, uh, you can hopefully teach me a little more how to use it in Coding Cat since we're shifting over to it. Sound good? Sounds good. Go. How in the world could I forget about this? There's no need to freak out. We have Storyblock. Robert, you're right. But we still need a plan. Okay. How much time do we have left until the launch? 24 hours. Okay, let's go. We are ready to publish. So let's get this baby online. Thanks again, Storyblock, for sponsoring CodingCat.dev podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, Penguin was just telling us more about MD specs and how to use it. And um, we're actually currently using it and the rewrite of CodingCat. And so I had a few questions about it, and I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to kind of understand like performance and if I'm using it right in SvelteKit and hopefully Penguin can uh, show me the light, if you will. So let's dive in a little bit on the structure side first. Uh, let's share my entire window and we'll see how this goes. There we go. Um, so the way that we have everything kind of laid out right now, let me just minimize everything. Um, so we're actually in a, a turbo repo because we have some Firebase backend and items. Um, and then within that, we have a SvelteKit project. So pretty simple once we get into the SvelteKit side of things. Um, and when we're in here, I think the Svelte config is probably a, a decent spot to start um, kind of everything that we were just talking about. Let me make this a little bigger if we're in code for a while. Then we can kind of bounce back and forth. There we go. Um, so looking at this, one of the things that we had to add um, was the import to MD specs. And then on the MD specs side, we actually had to say, okay, these are the typical MD specs files, the .svx, but we also want markdown files to work for, for our setup at least. Hopefully that that's okay. <laughs> that's absolutely fine, yeah. Perfect. And so anytime these markdown files or uh, .svx are found, it actually runs through this pre-processing um, prior to the actual Svelte side of things. So uh, if I go back out, all of our files are actually um, in our source and then, which I, I found a little weird. I wanted it kind of separated out, but this seems to work okay. Um, so source content, um, Let's just start with an easy one. Uh, I'm going to open this back up this way just to kind of give an overview. If we go to just our blog, let's say. So you'll notice there's a bunch of like pre-compiling because I have some output here happening. Let's just take a look on the, the Svelte side of things, how this actually works. So 
Um, here is my posts. Here's all of our posts that are in here. And if I go to the actual routes page, um, we have this in our listing and then we have blog. So in blog, we actually have to go through and grab all of the different posts. And we can do this using Vite, um, using the import meta glob. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, this I find interesting and, and I struggle with a little bit. Uh, and this is kind of where my performance questions start to start to come into play. So unfortunately, on the import meta glob, which we're not quite there yet, but uh, you have to import everything, right? So uh, if you have a thousand documents in here, I'm kind of curious uh, at what point this becomes too much to run in like, a, you know, it's going to end up on a serverless function and, and speed and, and that sort of things becomes kind of part of that. So what we do here on this glob is we actually throw that through this parse module. So here is where the MD specs kind of stuff starts to happen, if you will. And I've, it's been a while since I wrote this, so forgive me if I'm misspeaking on some of this, but we have to do a couple different checks in here. But the main thing here is this MD specs. So we, we take that mod that's coming through and we say, okay, render out everything um, that's required for the HTML, but we also want to grab that metadata too. And the metadata that's kind of coming through, um, I should have opened one of these. Let's let's do the install tail and there we go. So the metadata is actually all of this front matter up here. Mm -hmm. So it's it's taking a look and saying, okay, all of this, the, the biggest key for us at this point is the slug that's coming through. So that's this right here. Um, so let's jump back over there. And so when that kind of comes out, we end up with just a list of HTML and front matter based content, which comes back over here. Um, we do this list content thing and, and all of that data gets pushed up to the website essentially. So um, this all happens on the server side and then in our page, we just pass data over. So pretty simple at this point. Uh, one thing I, I've always wondered on Svelte, and I haven't dug into it, if I'm passing around that much data, is all of the HTML there as well when I do that? Um, in that case, probably, because probably. That's, that's the data structure. But you could, I guess you could potentially do, in this case, you don't, do you need the HTML at this point, for example? Yeah, so I've been thinking just... like I should just delete it out of the, the object and then kind of, hey, just keep going past that because I, I don't. I've just left it kind of simple because of this. Yeah. So the next step that we do, because this now understands the slug, we can actually open this file. And um, the interesting part here, so let me go into our single folder here at this point. Uh, so we have this content single non-course because course does some, some special work, uh, but we get into the post side. So on the post side of things, just looking at this top one, for instance, uh, again, we have to do this whole go fetch all of the post data again and grab the slugs out. So the, the first question I have is, does it, do you think it makes more sense to like have this cached somewhere, maybe using like Vercel's new like edge caching or like, I don't know. I, I just keep going back and forth on performance to keep ripping through all of these uh, uh, post markdowns and having to, to parse it every time. Um, 
That's a good question. I, I mean, what one a question I have yeah. is does um, doesn't SvelteKit? I mean, I guess it's a, some interplay between SvelteKit and its adapters. Yeah. Um, doesn't it kind of have some HTML caching? In which case, you know, does does this? I guess maybe the server code always gets executed though. But I mean, I do I do wonder if it could just like serve down some HTML or if you could kind of pre-render them because it's kind of relatively static content with the whole pre-render. Yeah, and I think I've had a, a decent amount of success with the pre-render side of things. Currently, yeah. I have that off just in our example here. Um, and the only reason for that is because we have everything wrapped in a Firebase. So if you're logged in, it does different things. So on the server side, it says, hey, block you from courses and stuff like that. We can work around that. And I've, I've got a branch out there that kind of does that. But um, I, I've just been wondering, like, okay, if I do, like, pre-render it all, even then, is it, like, performant enough where we probably wouldn't have to get into it? I know I'm, like, you know, we're not the Washington Post, but if you <laughs> were, like, you might start to have those kind of questions, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I mean, this is one of the big, big uh, trade-offs with a tool like MD Specs. And it's the, probably the thing that bothers me the most and it's something that I want to like, it's probably the thing I want to work on the most in a, after I've kind of, I'm kind of currently rewriting um, for a 1.0, but there's a, there's a whole kind of missing piece around performance. And, and so what you're doing here is you're doing stuff on the server because um, well, because it's, it's like the sensible place to do it and allows you to put yeah. your posts in a more sensible place rather than having like, all of your blog posts as actual kind of roots in Svelte, right. um, which would also work, you know, pre-process would do those, but you'd obviously need to put your posts in a very specific, you know, SvelteKit specific um, right. structure. I think in this case, what you could do is you do like, so yeah, so import meta.glob does get all of the posts, but because import.meta.glob is, um, returns a, an, an object, an all the key value pairs are the file name and a an import function, a function that will return the module. So it's right. not, at that point, it's not been loaded. So what you could do is look through that object and only pull out the one that you care about rather than processing everything. Um, obviously, for the... Um, the other route with the you know the listings yeah. you would need to process them all together. Yeah, the, the interesting part or the hard part in that scenario is still if you don't base it on file name is i still need to find all those slugs to be able to find the correct one so that's that's something that i've kind of gone back and forth on too because i think i could get some performance back if we just kept the file name slug equal and like search it by by file name or path name or whatever you want to say. So that's something I've been considering as well, because then you wouldn't have to do um, the whole module. Uh, I can't remember what that actually does when you parse through those. So mm. um, I, I, the lack of words just compile, I would say. I, I don't yeah. know a better word for it. <laughs> so yeah. um, once it's doing that, so it, that is something that I really have been thinking about too. It's, it's fun though, in some contexts, because... Uh, we have certain files like in courses, if you want to repeat uh, a lesson name or something like that, well, then we want slugs to be different. So it's, yeah. it's a little bit messy, but, uh, you know, a little bit tricky too. So I guess with all of that said, um, it, it seems like it's performing pretty well at this point. Um, 
early on, I had all of the globs coming in at one point. So I had our, our posts, our tutorials, our uh, lessons, like everything coming in at one time. And then it was like, okay, it's cached. And what I realized was if you hit that, I, I had them coming in at basically this felt layout page. Well, if you do that one time, it's fine. It's super slow, but then you get like all that nice cacheness past that. Or the trade-off is don't do it all at once and every route that we're at, you know, break it down a little further. So yeah. unfortunately that import metaglob doesn't allow dynamic. If it did, like we'd have a whole different setup uh, going on. So it's it's kind of a, a painful piece of the Svelte kit slash Vite journey that we're on. Yeah, and I, and I think um, performance is always a concern. So I guess for like a lot of people, I, I mean, I don't know how well understood this is. Obviously, um, one of the one of the nice things about MD Specs, or hopefully one of the nice things, is how simple it is. So you know, you can just yeah. do your thing. You can plug in the preprocessor. You can just like write your markdown files as if they were Svelte files, and you don't need to worry about too much. But you know, realistically, there is a trade-off here because you know when you're if you think of a traditional blog setup where you've got you know markdown that you're basically just injecting into the page, you'd use like at HTML tags in Svelte. In other frameworks, you'd do something hopefully similarly performant. And it's just like, that's fast, right? Like there's nothing mm -hmm. faster than the browser's built-in HTML parser. It's just strings. Um, it doesn't get much quicker than that in kind of JavaScript kind of web world. When you use something like M MD specs, and, and, and this kind of applies to many different, like it doesn't really matter kind of like what it is. If you're gonna treat content as JavaScript modules, there's a huge overhead there. and because all of a sudden it's like a bunch of JavaScript that needs to execute. In the case of kind of um, Svelte and SvelteKit, it's, you know, there's, you know, creating DOM elements and all of that sort of stuff. There's hydration after the kind of like SSR has been rendered. So if you're not using um, kind of MD specs for its dynamic stuff, if you're not using any Svelte features in your markdown files, by far the best thing that you can do is just kind of render the HTML and treat it as HTML. Mm. Yeah. Only when you start actually um, using components in your markdown or using Svelte syntax in your markdown that you need to kind of actually use it kind of as intended for its full capabilities. But even then, again, this is something I would like to solve in a future version or try to solve. I mean, it needs some combination of tooling. MD specs and the tooling need to work together in some way to make mm -hmm. this work. But basically, it would be really nice if you could you know, use MD specs. And when the content was completely static, it was just a blob of HTML that was injected. And, and when it was using dynamic features, it was a, you know, a JavaScript module because it needs to be in that case, I think. Yeah. And I think that the big challenge is like you, you talked about scale is, you know, if you used it as intended as just a pure preprocessor, then your roots manifest is going to be kind of this, huge, you know, it's basically just a mapping of like, paths to or, or root patterns to JavaScript modules, well, that's yeah. going to be enormous. It could potentially have thousands of entries. You'd have like right. megabytes as your first page load. So that's no good. Um, and I think the server approach of actually passing a module and passing it down and kind of instantiating it in some way is the right approach, but it's also kind of complex for users as well. So I think that's like some, there's, a, there's definitely some integrations with whether it's Svelkit or whether it's like, I don't know, Astro or whether, you know, whatever it is right. that people are using, there's definitely a missing piece there because I think it's easy to use, 
But I think to use it at its kind of best and most performant and all that good stuff is there's like requires the most difficult implementation. And there's some stuff that's just probably not possible right now due to how um, just due to how things are written and the lack of integrations and stuff. So it, it is always a trade-off. And I think um, there's a, a limit to what you can do at the minute. There's no there's no way to to really tightly integrate with SvelteKit. There's no like SvelteKit specific plugins. You can't hook into SvelteKit's kind of bits and pieces. It's nuts and bolts. There's there's Vite and there's the pre-process and there's various server hooks and stuff. But that's about as much as you have at the minute, as far as I'm aware, anyway. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. Yeah, the hooks thing. You kind of have my mind. Uh, that's interesting. That might be a good solution too. I'll have to look into that. And my mind's kind of churning a little bit now that you say that. Yeah. yeah I, feel so, like, I, feel like, I feel like there's something, there's somewhere, there's some integration that can make yeah. things nicer, I think. Yeah, I totally, I, I think I felt the same way about MDX when it first came out. Like there was just things that needed to occur and then they started happening. And then I think they released, I think they jumped a whole version, like 2.0 or something like that. I was like, oh yes, this is how it should have been. So it's it's mm. been really great to hit that. The next part of my my big question and, and fast here is I have I've only been using the markdown um, and we've kind of went down the road of doing a couple things to avoid having to create a first component and now I'm like all right it's time like I, I need to create one and so it'd be awesome if you wouldn't mind at least attempting to help me uh, create one and we'll see how far we can get does that sound yeah, good okay good. Uh, so I opened up my lesson file and so with this uh, let's see if this this might be a better view, a little bit bigger for everyone. Uh, so basically what we're looking at on the left over here is this markdown file. And it's got a few things in it. Um, things that can stay at the same place are like the cover file for it, which you'll see out on, let me go back to this page. Oh, on this page. So you'll see like the cover photo and this comes through on OG image and, and stuff like that. Okay. Um, inside, it actually says, okay, if you have a video, show the video iframe. That part's fine. The, the next part that gets a little trickier is this iframe for our stack blitz. And I, I want more than one stack blitz or code pin or whatever uh, as we go through this. So currently, we just have this in the front matter. But ideally, I'd like to start to include stack blitzes all throughout our um uh, markdown or HTML part of the markdown, if you will. And so right now, what this looks like uh, is this right here for stack blitz is just this simple iframe all over the place. So what would be awesome is if we could walk through how to switch this out to create an actual component. Sound good? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Cool. So what's the first step? Would you attack this just creating a new Svelte component? And where would you put it? Yeah, I would create a new component. And I guess it depends. Like if you've got somewhere that you've been putting your components, I guess like lib is because okay. of the nice, easy inputs. Yeah, not, maybe like, just in the lib content. This like this yeah. is another content thing. So we'll just do um, templates, I guess. Yeah. if we just wanted to show, I guess, a working version of this on this page, um, before I get too carried away, I'm just going to actually create a new branch because mm -hmm. I don't know what I've been doing on here. <laughs> <laughs> um, sure. 
something like that. Okay. So I'm going to take and basically take this iframe out and then put that in up here. And so really the only thing we need in here, I think is the, maybe a title for it, but honestly just the source for it. So we'll export, um, let stack blitz. Let's do that one and maybe maybe an export let title, something like that. And we should be able to swap these out. And so this this you kind of piqued my interest. If I wanted to switch this over to um, you know what, let me make this a little bigger for everyone too. I wanted to switch this uh, to use TypeScript. Is that something that's not going to work very well? That's fine. You just can't use TypeScript in the MD specs. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So this will be okay. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> we'll find out, right? Yeah. Um, so these, I can start to say things like this, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, cool. So that works. Um, so now we have a component we should be able to utilize throughout. We could even test this out by swapping this out for now and try this out. Yeah, so this, yeah, this should work. That one. Yeah. I should have uh, left this and copied some of the title and stuff. I, I already yeah. forgot what it was. Data content something. I think it was, yeah. So um, source, you know what? Yeah. I'm just gonna back up, back this train up. There we oh, go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've got this and this. Back down a little and then make sure this import comes in. And then we should be able to just take that out. Um, what's this complaining about? Oh, right. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, so theoretically, if we go look at this page, okay, everything's everything's groovy still. We're sitting pretty good. Um, so ideally, at this point, we need to take that StackBlitz component and say, hey, MD Specs, you can use this. Where do we add components? So I've got a feeling, just my gut says this isn't going to work. But okay. <laughs> the way, at least not without some, some tweaks. But essentially, in whatever kind of um, markdown file you're using, you could just add, you know, you could just import the component um, and use it the same as you are doing here. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So wow. okay. now, the reason I don't think it's going to work is because I think you're, I, I mean, I haven't looked at the implementation in, in detail, but I think you're treating the markdown as kind of static HTML. For the most part, yeah. yeah um, so, and yeah, so. I think even inside of here, we can probably see right here, we have this. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and so what's going to happen is, I, I'm guessing your path mod module kind of does some kind of, um, it gets the, yeah. So it's, because we've dynamically imported them, they're being passed through Vite's kind of pipeline. So everything gets converted from first from Markdown into Svelte and then from Svelte into JavaScript. And so you're left here 
when you pass that module in, what you've got is a JavaScript function, which has a render method on it. And it's because it's executed in the server, it's the SSR version, so it gives you the static HTML. So the problem is, and this is where, this is the complicated stuff I was talking about before, yeah. is that's not like, that's not enough because the static HTML doesn't contain all of the client side code. So you need like hmm. both, you, like, so what SvelteKit does, I mean, it's the reason these meta frameworks are so popular is it'll do the SSR compilation, it'll do the kind of the client side compilation, it will, you know, run the server render stuff. And then when the kind of client, kind of when it, when the client is loaded, it will then load up all of the, you know, the, the client side Svelte code and hydrate everything. So what's happened here is because we're kind of like, we've kind of gone outside of SvelteKit it's we've got this the um we've got the ssr code we've got the kind of the raw html mm -hmm. we don't have the client side code to um to hydrate it so that you get a nice now in this case i think i think it might actually actually i've, I've changed my mind i think it might work because okay. because it's just a because none of those values change Yes, that's true. They so should I think the SSR version should be the full iframe with the correct source. Yeah, so I, I think in this case it would work. But okay. if it were like, I don't know, same one tutorial, you actually wanted to have embed a Svelte demo of something someone had actually built, for example, and it was an interactive widget, none of the code to make it interactive mm. would be either in that case. Interesting. So, okay. So you're like, case. you're penguin walking. That probably would work because you don't interact with it. Um, it depends. It depends. Basically, if it needs JavaScript to run, it's not going to work. Okay, I see if, what you're saying. If you can work with just the raw HTML, it will work. So the I can't remember how I implemented the Penguin, but if it's just CSS, okay. for example, yeah. that would work fine. Right. But okay. If it were, and this is why the whole if you just like if your MD like whatever you've called your MD specs files, but if those files are actual roots, SvelteKit will deal with the whole. Do server stuff on the server, do client stuff on the client. Mm. And you're like, whereas when you go alone, you've got to do it manually. And that is somewhat, well, A, it's a bit like, it's dangerous anyway when you start to go, like, start to do Svelte's job for it separately. But it's also very complex because you'd need to compile twice and then find so everything. And, you know. Are you saying that if we weren't using, um, this content folder and bringing stuff in and just drop that inside of the, the correct routes, um, then it would go a lot smoother. Yeah, and you wouldn't need your past modules stuff at all. I mean, it would, but there is a performance implication potentially. I mean, I've never seen, I've never seen anybody complain about performance, mm -hmm. but I know that at the right scale, um, having a root manifest like that big potentially could be kind of problematic, um, but... Yeah, so if you're, all of your different types of content were actually inside of the root instead of having like a, a server handler to do it all, mm -hmm. all, everything would just like work. Interesting. So, yeah, so that's, yeah. that's a really good note. Um, do you want to try to go down this path anyways and see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Um, so let's see. When we go to use this, should we, is it in the Svelte uh, compile that we need to set it up? Um, or like svelte.config? No, no. If we, so if you just go into your... Um, so so you are going to need to import your components anywhere you want to use them. That's the only yeah. thing. So 
it's felt like there have been requests for an auto import on on the MD spec side, which I mean, I don't use them personally, but um, sure. that's possible in the future. And it's possible that one of the auto import plugins that exists for Vite in general mm. might work. But in okay. for the vanilla case, if you go and find your markdown file, okay, um, that kind of corresponds to this page, and just yeah, just underneath the front matter, you can just create create a script. Um, And then, we have to do the same import that we did up here. Yeah, and just import that. And Will the relative path work? Uh, that should be fine. OK. I think um, it all gets passed through kind of because it's a glob import, so it should be fine. Okay. And now you can just, you should just be able to use your stack blitz. So theoretically, we should be able to put the same code. Yeah. And for now, I'm just going to comment that one out and comment this out so we don't have anything actually leaking through. And yeah. Then we'll throw this at the top and change out um, the data from here yeah. to here. Theoretically. <laughs> yeah. And you're title as well i guess is that yeah. oh yeah that's that's true i think it's just yeah really doesn't matter but uh yeah we'll just do that yeah so something like that i think this should work famous last words but Let's see hmm. script yeah that would totally make sense to have <laughs> oh okay and there we go there we go I mean, I really didn't think it'd be that easy, quite honestly. Yeah. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. So in the case of um, static components, so you're almost like using this like a, you might use a short code in something like mm -hmm. Go or some of those yeah, things. Yeah, right? that's kind of what I've been thinking of is just using short codes mm -hmm. essentially all over the place. Yeah. And I think like for this, this kind of use case, there's a few ways to go about this. There are different approaches to it. Um, but I, you know, this essentially we still only need to deal with a static HTML page. So in yeah. this case, and as long as your use cases, things like abstractions for, you know, in this case, stack blitz, YouTube videos, maybe there's other little kind of static yeah. widgets you might want to display. And it would be absolutely fine for those things. And it would just offer a nice, you know, so you're not littering your page with iframes and all of the <laughs> ridiculous, yeah. you know, attributes you have to pass to an iframe. So it's a nice abstraction. It's just that case of if you want something truly dynamic, like a, a data visualization, an interactive data visualization, which yeah. might be something you'd want on a, you know, a, a news article or something like that. It was one of the use cases I had in mind when I originally kind of wrote MD Specs was yeah. those nice kind of, you know, scrolling telling or data visualizations embedded inside of cool blog posts and stuff. Yeah. In those cases, you need to go the whole hog and in, in the SvelteKit case, just it's easier to just give SvelteKit your, your, M, you know, your markdown files as roots. That's going to kind of be the least painful. Gotcha. Uh, okay. But in this case, where the short code kind of case, it doesn't matter because we don't need JavaScript for them to work anyway. Yeah, and I guess to that degree, would you actually suggest instead of creating Svelte components, uh, would you do this through like Remark instead, where you set those up? You could do. Um, I don't think it matters much to be honest because okay. Svelte's SSR, SSR and a Svelte component is incredibly fast anyway. So. Mm -hmm. The benefit is it happens ahead of time, and you know, 
zero is better than any other number. And uh, yeah. I think so. My my kind of my gut says that the um, the remark like no, there are probably a bunch of remark plugins that like do this kind of thing, remark or rehype plugins. Mm -hmm. But my gut says that the um, what's it called generic ex generic directive extension, which is an, a semi-official kind of, it was a proposal to the actual Markdown spec. Um, but what it is, is it's essentially a set of syntax for this use case. It's almost like a placeholder Markdown that you provide kind of these functions for and the function, you know, depending on, you know, its name, it will kind of, you know, it will say like, oh, you've got a handler for YouTube, you've got a handler for Stackblitz, you've got a handler for this. And what it does is you can pass some kind of parameters in, in a kind of a markdown-ish syntax, and then ren you know, use those parameters to render something. So in the case of Stackbits, you could pass in a title and you know, a source URL, and then um, and then render like a, a static bit of HTML. And and I feel that the generic directive extension feels like a natural fit for short codes. It's almost like um, Markdown's answer like two short codes, you know, in okay. things like Hugo and stuff. And like I say, it's not like, you know, getting anything to change in the common mark spec is, is impossible, but it is, <laughs> as, as syntax goes, it's something, it's very kind of markdown like, I'll find a link to the, I think there's a, um, what did I say it was called? Generic directives. Markdown. And I, th I think there's a remark plugin for it. The only problem is I'm, you need to be pinned to an older version of Remark at the minute because of some internal reasons inside of MD specs. And, and I'm not sure if, because I think the generic directives plugin is newer and requires a newer version of Remark than you can get away with. In oh, really? Yeah, so there's, a, there's an issue pinned somewhere about don't go above X version for that reason. So it might be a little bit problematic at the minute. Um, this is the uh i'll just pop this in in the chat in case you want to link it but it's uh and you can take a look at the syntax but it's essentially like you use colons almost as fences or you can use it in different ways but in the same way that you have like back ticks to wrap code this uses um colons to say okay this is a generic directive and then after the colons you would have a name and then you can kind of potentially pass some um parameters and there's some examples um example applications with the different ways you could use it and it's a quite a nice um it's a nice proposal because it supports kind of inline things and it supports you know wrapping content so if you wanted to pass something into you know what comes to mind to me is like an info block or a warning block in documentation you could do like triple colon info and then the actual content you want inside of that container could go um inside but it's this is the kind of syntax so it's a kind of a markdown oh, like syntax so this would be this leaf block would be the the good stacklets alternative i think you do you know double colon stacklets sure. and then you kind of pass in some parameters um, yeah i like this better than like the dev2 setup with their uh, i think it's the old uh, does github have that i don't know someone else has the old liquid tags the way that they do yeah. i think it's like curly brace and then uh percentage sign type of thing so yeah, yeah. So I think this is more, it feels like Markdown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is something that I'm going to build into the next version of MD Specs anyway. Just nice. like, I love so, this. Yeah, and so you would essentially have like whatever you call it, your your name, 
somewhere in a configuration file somewhere, you would have like a handler for that name. And then it would you would kind of receive the the parameters as arguments to a function, and you just return the HTML you wanted to render. Cool. So it's quite straightforward. Like I said, whether or not there's something that would allow it to be used in MD specs today is something you'd have to kind of try. I've not tried myself personally. Okay. It might be that there's a bit of a versioning kind of mismatch. Sure. Um, but okay. yeah, but the component way works fine. And I think like because yeah. like, there's not a lot of um, overhead when you're SSRing a salt component anyway. Um, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't be worried about that, but yeah. Okay, I, I think I while we were chatting, I just threw together another component. I just wanted to give this a try and see what happens. I can't guarantee like what's going to happen, but we'll see. Okay. All right, so I just threw together this thing called buttons, and it shows the added amount once you click on it. So on the left over here, And so it's in that same setup in the markdown. Um, so we're going to do the same import style and everything called buttons instead. Instead of this, we're just going to do this right here. Let's see what happens. OK, so the top one is the one that's actually built into the lesson. We'll take that out real quick. Okay. okay. Here's the bottom big button. And as you said, perfectly yeah. rendered. The JavaScript is not having it. I wonder yeah. if it throws an error. Do you think it throws an error? No. I, I don't think it'll be error. There's no hooks getting lined up, right? Yeah. So, you know, the normally Svelte would kind of like look through the DOM and say, oh, that's mine. I'm going to kind of claim that. I'm going to add the event listeners. Because all the code is like, and but in this case, the code to do that isn't even being loaded in, let alone instantiated. Because it, we never, in fact, it, we're never even generating that code in the first place because we're only generating the SSR because we do our glob on the server. I think that's more mm -hmm. like, there's obviously a bit of magic going on there, but I think because we're doing that glob on the server, we only have the server, you know, Svelte has two compile modes. And in this case, we're only getting the SSR one. So we'd need to. I do actually want to see how, like, what the, I couldn't even begin to guess what the actual code would look like right now, but there's got to be a way where, you know, you can, you can do both, whether it's some extra plugin or some extra setting or something where you yeah. can kind of, like generate both the client and SSR and somehow map them together. But I do feel as though, I don't know, it's like, it's almost like I'd need access to some, maybe the manifest inside of kind of, and, you know, Svelte Kids Manifest would have some information mm -hmm. about it or, Something, but my my fear is that you would need to somehow hook into um, almost like add an additional handler to like the you know the root config or mm. something to make something happen in response to this root loading or and then there's all the cleanup and stuff as well. So that's the yeah I think that's the big um, you know the big trade off. And then you know if you go all like root root, root you know like root files and stuff. Then, you, then it's like you don't have the control over your source code that you want. People like to put their content separately. Yeah, I'd almost... Uh, hot take. That must be a hot take alarm. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> if they break down your door, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have yeah. to keep recording. It'll be amazing. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I totally lost it. Uh, as far as when you set up the, the root files like that and, and stuff, I think it'd be really interesting as well 
to have a way to still do like the the glob style up in the top. So I think I'd I'd almost move the content into each layer and let Svelte do its thing. But the there's trade-offs like we're kind of talking about with that too. And I feel like there's almost performance issues on that side too. And like you have to start to consider package sizes and, and things like that. So it's it's kind of an interesting uh, scenario to get into, but I think I might even think about getting away from the glob import for V at that point for like the listing files as well. I think I'd probably just go straight to like a directory read of some kind or, or something. So I don't know. That's, that's tough though. Like that front matter read, you still kind of want it. So, but you could do that. You could potentially do that ahead of time. Um, yeah, you could that's just true. grab the file contents and you could run instead of running kind of MD, MD as a second export um compile and it will and if you kind of iterated through all the files that you read in you know you do this at build time or something you could iterate through them compile all the files pull out the um i was gonna say the dark matter the front matter yeah. and stick them into a json I like file dark matter too, we should yeah, have named it, it. <laughs> rename it, I'll rename it. Yeah. um you know and you could pop that onto a json and then you could read that into the server and then you basically oh. not any work i, mean, I wouldn't even of thought of that so we're we're actually doing uh, let me show you another file now that you say that this becomes super interesting so um let me pass this this could be easier than i even thought it might be so um if i go to our content json so we actually have let me show it before i actually try to explain it so this is our, our search that comes in and i can search for like things like spelt um and this is all in memory but it's based off of this content and this is Svelkit docs. If you ever check them out, this is what this is using. So yeah. um, where is that right here? So this content.json, we're actually doing the same thing here. We have all these different metaglobs. And we're just saying you know, the parts of that that we need, essentially the text in this case, um, it's basically a, just a JSON file of, hey, here's where a site's structured like. So if we just did that at build time, now we have all the JSON we really need for the searching capability. And then I could put all of the content. Um, so the, the this folder of stuff, we can move that directly into the root. And I, I think we're done then. Then we can put Svelte wherever we want, we want, right? Yeah. That gets really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's like, well, like I think when you start... You know, Svelkit does so like all of these tools do, you know, whether it's Next.js or, you know, Nuxt or whatever, but Svelkit does so much, you know, they do so much to optimize everything for you that yeah. like a lot of the problems you think you're going to have, you end up not having because right. there's so much optimization happening. You know, it's yeah. doing things ahead of time. It's got really clever caching. It's like we're trying to run as little code as possible and remount as little, you know, as, 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 infrequently as possible and stuff so a lot of the times you think you might have problems and you like realistically you don't and especially when you consider you know i don't like i i've always cared about performance but i don't think we should care about performance to the detriment of like getting stuff out there and building yeah. products and you know writing blog posts and courses and all yeah. that sort of stuff. <laughs> content is more important and you know when you consider your users like in your case for example i imagine it's a lot of you know technical users running mm -hmm. on decent hardware and stuff. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't make our stuff accessible to as many people as possible. We should. Sure. Yeah. But I do think that like prioritizing getting stuff out and then 
waiting until you have a problem before you try to fix it. You yeah, know, I think yeah. there's been a lot of rhetoric recently with Quick and with like Solid and like various yeah. other things about yeah. almost this this fixation on on performance. And yeah. I think that that's good, but I wouldn't. I don't like it when we fixate on performance to the kind of like the detriment of other things. And I think you know sometimes it's. Uh, these tools that we're using, we're very fortunate in the kind of JavaScript ecosystem now that there's, it's such a rich ecosystem. We've got so many yeah. options, but, and that these tools have become like incredibly complex. Go and yeah. <laughs> read the source code, you know, they've become very mature and very complex and they're actually doing, doing a lot for us now. And, you know, to the point where, like I say, you think you might be having a problem, then it just never kind of manifests. That's why yeah. it's always good, I think, to just try things out and for sure. see if you have a problem before, like you know, thinking what's you know a problem you had like two years ago <laughs> yeah not be a problem anymore right. so, so i think yeah. uh part of this too is that um i think i i went after md specs the wrong way too and so maybe i'll do a video for that you that you can put like in your docs so that um i, I attacked it like okay i can i can parse a thing but i didn't realize like if i put it in the route how am i ever going to list it right and i i think the the listing side really threw me off. Like even if I was doing this in Next.js, it's like, well, sure, it'll it'll show all these markdown files perfectly. You know, I can have my layouts, I can import, but at the end of the day, like, how am I gonna actually get this to like show a posting page and like iterate through and like all those things? And I think I approached it that way before I showed a single file. And it would have probably clued me in a little more like, oh. If I just left all these front matter markdown files like out in the the routes themselves, then worried about the listing part of it, I think I probably would have done this totally differently and not had to worry about the meta glob imports and stuff like that. So it's kind of one of those I literally just had during our podcast here, one of those aha moments like, you know, it'd be nice for someone to say, here's the right way to do it or not the right way, but here's the the way that we would normally do this if you have other ways kind of continue from there and i i know there's going to be other ways because like at one point i was storing all of our mdx up into firestore and then compiling it after we were pulling it out of the database so like that's another option to to throw in there too so this this actually i think mentally where i was at was that database type of feel where i'd have to compile once we pulled the data so I think those kind of things, if we were to put best case scenario or like straight out of the box scenario and then work into the rest, it might be useful. Yeah, I, I think it's, it, it is interesting because I actually see this a lot where people will say, okay, I'm, I'm using it, and but my components aren't working or something. Yep. And then I'll say, hold on, can you show me, like, do you have a repo or something? And then they will show me, and it's a similar situation where they're doing everything on the server and returning yep. kind of just HTML. And I'm like, hmm, it's like, what's happened? Like, and it's obviously... So my, you know, my opinion on these sorts of things is like, if you see something happening all the time, it's like, it's your yeah. fault, my fault. Well, you know, it's, it's the way the docs are written or there's something about the tool that encourages that use. And like you say, it might be that there's no obvious solution to getting something like a list of posts or yeah, get access yeah. to the front matter. And it's kind of interesting because um, you, I don't know if you're familiar with a, a it was kind of like a, it was a, a router, router, but also kind of a framework called a Routify, Routify. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that actually was really nice about it was um, it basically allowed you to do this. So it kind of, I think it supported MDX, MD specs out of the box. 
Yeah, we and, had them on the podcast not that long ago. It was it's really cool. Yeah, and you could get all that front matter data just by like they had some utilities to do it. And you know, obviously in this world you have to do it all yourself. And I do think maybe there's some patterns there. And I think the other case that you mentioned using a, a CMS or using a database, it's a question I've had. How do I put um how do I put all of my MD sec stuff in a CMS and then render it dynamically somehow. And I've never really had like a really great answer. So I think there's definitely room for more in-depth kind of recipes on the uh, on the docs, which I do yeah. want to open when I rewrite and have more like integrations and potentially even writer some kind of tighter integration with SvelteKit. Yeah. And potentially this is one of the problems that maybe could be solved by some utilities in, in MDSvex itself. Yeah, 100%. Like some sort of like command line even to say, do this and there it is be really nice to like make a say you know command for create a front not front matter ugh, markdown file with the correct front matter too i've been researching like tina cms and like the netlify cms which is now something else cms can't even remember starts with a d um and and it's like, it's really tough still if I want like a, a content person, a non-technical person to write blog posts and stuff. Uh, I'd love to tell them like, here's an easy way, like type this command in and boom, now start writing like in this file. Like they're usually savvy enough. They can open up VS code and start, you know, typing away in Markdown. So it would be kind of cool to have mm -hmm. that still. But anyways, we're, we're, we're crazy down a path, but... I'd love to uh, help you re rewrite those docs. So keep me in the loop when we're uh, going through this rewrite for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Um, we're going to shift now. Thank you for all of the details in there, but we're going to do some perfect picks now. And uh, yours are so much fun. I'm just going to do mine and then uh, let you talk about yours. Cause I feel like we could be on them for like the next hour. Or so um, my first pick, if I, show my screen there we go uh my pick is uh zeta.io um so it's really cool how they have this serverless database set up and how it works on the edge i, I should probably just show the video because i'm not doing it justice at this point um but the amazing part for me on this one is the database branches um so you actually can write in your like github you'll have it, basically like if you have a uh, Alex branch that you're going to do, and it's going to push out to Vercel a preview. Before that, you can have a database branch of Alex that has some different data in it, whether it's like your production down in your testing or like just some test data or whatever you want to look at prior to that. You can say, okay, push this branch of data out there. And then Vercel can come in, you know, right behind it to do the actual preview and run the site off of that branch. So it's, it's quite incredible. Um, I haven't spent enough time on it yet, but I, I saw it and, and loved it. And uh, with full clarity, when, when this comes out, hopefully, uh, I just had an interview with him. So we'll see. We'll see what happens, folks. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> uh, Dominic Clark is over there, I found out, from Netlify. So doing some fun okay. stuff. That's cool. I mean, this, this looks really useful for, like, obviously, test data. And I mean, as someone who's kind of like, you know, working at kind of like a, a startup now, but I've worked for kind of, you know, enterprisey companies in the past and dealing with data is like, you would never deal with like your actual users data in like test kind of branches or locally and stuff like that. So having it almost like, there's almost like a, if there's a permissions kind of situation where you can safeguard some of your data and then have, be a little bit looser with kind of test branches, 
that would be really cool because, yeah. you know, and the other thing is like when you're doing kind of full end-to-end testing, spinning up kind of new kind of, you know, fresh databases, whatever you're using, if you're using AWS or GCP or whatever, like mm-hmm. it can be pretty slow, like at times, depending on yes. what your data store is. Totally. So having a really nice, quick way to create, you know, to, you know, seed some data in a database fresh for testing, having that kind of nice, clean environment every time you run your tests as well is is super cool. So that looks really interesting. Yeah, it's it's really neat. I'm excited about it for sure. Uh, okay, your stuff. It's AI stuff. So, I mean, it's all the hot trend. Tell me about Hugging Chat. Yeah, so my, my pick is uh, open source. AI in general, I guess, like, yeah. So I, I work for I work for Hugging Face um, on an open source library called Gradio. Um, oh yeah, maybe and... you bring up your main site first before I get too far here. Yeah, so there you know, go. Hugging Face is we're trying to you know it's fully open source. And, like we host models and data sets. We have a bunch of services and APIs. We can host like spaces, which are little kind of machine learning applications, and a lot of them are built with Gradio, which is what I work on, which is kind of a Python library to um, it's a Python library to build web UIs. Basically, and the, you know the front end is built in Svelte, and the back end is in is in Python. And you know we want like we're very kind of big on open source AI. Um, obviously, everything is like we you know hugging face are behind the Transformers library, the Python Transformers library, which is a huge you know library in the machine learning community. And and we have a bunch of open source libraries as well. And um, but my my pick is is kind of just in general open source AI, specifically open source LLMs. Um, so there's been a lot of, you know. Can you, can you break down what's the LLM part? Yeah, so it's a, so I was, you know, ChatGPT has obviously taken over the world. Yeah. Um, GPT 3.5 or GPT 4, like soon. And yeah, and an LLM is just a, it's a large language model. And it's basically, it's a relatively general purpose model. And, and fundamentally all a large language model does is kind of guesses what, what the next word should be or the next token should be. It's just trying to, it's almost like trying to finish your sentence. But after the, you know, after you've kind of trained it on that data, you then kind of, there's this kind of voting kind of process that the responses go through. So it kind of learns which kinds of responses are more helpful. And then, and then what you end up with is something like ChatGPT, which has read the internet kind of after a fashion. Yeah. Um, it's been trained on, a, on an enormous amount of data. And, you know, you can talk to it. It's a, you know, you can basically have this. It has enough of an understanding um, of language, which is like pre- what it's kind of predominantly good at, um, that it can respond to you to varying degrees of accuracy. A lot of the hype around LLMs is a little bit like overstated. You know, it's not, you know, like I say, it's kind of doesn't know anything. It's kind of guessing. It can't verify <laughs> anything. It will make stuff up. So you need to be very careful when you're using them um, at all times. Um, but obviously, ChatGPT is closed source and very closed source. It's about as closed source as anything gets. And mm. it is free for most people to use. You can use the chat. Um, but the APIs you have to pay for and they're not yeah. particularly cheap. So we'll try to push you into the pro all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, so, and you know, it's been for, for, for kind of people within AI, there's almost been an existential kind of crisis and like, oh my God, this is taking the world by storm. And it's like everything else has been kind of pushed by the wayside. But I think what's interesting to note is that um, there's nothing like, there's no there's nothing stopping other people from doing what OpenAI have done. It's really, they've just kind of thrown, you know, like, it's very, very good, you know, and the impact has been enormous. But technically it's not like a huge step. There's like lots and lots of data that has been put into that. So 
people will catch up <clears throat> and the open source community is catching up and the kind of the the large language model that comes to mind today is uh, open assistant and you can try open assistant on this hugging chat it's huggingface.co slash chat and you know and it's kind of a gpt like experience where a gpt chat like experience where you can ask it some questions and it will you know try and respond to you it's uh, not as good at the minute as um chat gpt but it's um it's getting there and it will continue to improve um over time and as and the nice thing about this kind of hugging face chat is that as new large language models are released and more will be released over the kind of the coming kind of month month uh months it we are going to kind of add those models to this chat so you can swap and try different models and and of course the nice thing about these models is you can download them you can run them locally you can host them yourself you know and and there's lots of interesting work going on as well in the open source community around running large language models on your phone, which a lot of people thought would be very difficult because of resources, you know, running them potentially like, you know, I don't know, web GPU has, there's just been a big kind of yeah. uh, hoo-ha around, around web GPU. So using kind of those kinds of web platforms to run them, you know, and, and more besides, um, you know, really kind of slimming down these models. So they're kind of, they can run on, you know, less ridiculous hardware, like the kind of hardware that is required to run something like GPT-3 and the other OpenAI models is absurd. You, it would bankrupt <laughs> you overnight if you tried to have that kind of like clusters of high-end kind of sure. AI-specific GPUs. Whereas the open source community obviously wants to run this stuff locally. They want to run it on little servers and things like that. So in a time when it feels like, you know, with whether it's OpenAI or it's Google with Bard or it's like Microsoft or, you know, lots and lots of people coming out with uh, offerings and products. I think that fundamentally there's nothing stopping the open source community from catching up and potentially exceeding because if there's something open source that's just as good and free, like what's right. going to work? You know, so I think like keep an eye on the open source um, community. The I think it's going to... Um, it's going to like, I'm, we are betting like hugging face are betting on it. I'm very passionate about open source in general. So I'm betting on open source AI, um, to kind of, to, to genuinely kind of democratize like AI in a way that these private kind of walled gardens kind of won't. And I also think that from, you know, in a very kind of like the serious side of all this is like, you know, the ethics and, and, um, the safeguards around these things. And I do think that like doing things in the open is much kind of better for having a kind of like an open discussion around the, you know, the, the dangers and the harms, the potential harms of these, these kinds of these tools and, and, and technologies. And I do think that doing things in the open is important um, to have those conversations, which, uh, so, so it's kind of, you know, I think open source is my <laughs> open source AA is my pick, but specifically, yeah. Um, the large language models that will come out and improve over the next few months, I think we'll start to see um, more and more of that, you know, um, maturing, I think. I have a feeling I, I already know your answer, but uh, with Twitter and like locking down their API, even from like education side of things, do you think that like things like that will start to occur once we're past like, hey, we have these LLMs and we understand how to use them and open source community builds them so far up and then all of a sudden it's like everyone needs money again. Do you think it'll have that same effect like like Twitter kind of shutting down APIs unless you want to spend 42000 a month or whatever crazy amount it is? Um, I mean, I don't know. The Twitter situation is unique because it feels yeah. like <laughs> he's trying to destroy it. Um, it's almost like self-sabotage. But yeah. um, 
I don't I don't know. I think I think that I think what interests me in particular is you know, so if you're a you know big, you know, like if you want to take OpenAI as the obvious example, if you're a big company with huge amounts of funding, but also basically backed by you know Microsoft at this point, yeah. who are a cloud provider. So like this idea of like you know slimming down their models and making them super efficient and getting them to run on kind of you know pretty kind of like average hardware is just not in the that's not something they're interested in. They're right. currently like they're running huge clusters of very very kind of like um, high performance GPUs, which are like one of those GPUs would cost you thousands and thousands per month if you were to rent one from AWS. And so the open source community, like, you know, a lot of them know this, right? So when they're kind of building these, these, these models, they're kind of thinking in terms of like, well, you know, people like, people don't have a supercomputer at home to, <laughs> you know, to run things on. How can we get stuff to run? And, and, and the other, you know, nice thing about the open source community is a lot of people are interested in different things. They've got different skills, different expertise. So some people, you know, there's always been this kind of, um, the developments have always gone in two directions in kind of machine learning. One has been like new capabilities, like, you know, new models, interesting approaches that kind of allow us to do things we couldn't do before. And then the other side of that is, um, kind of making those models more and more efficient. So like they become like less resource intensive so that you could, you know, you could, you know, run them on your computer, you could, you know, um, run them on kind of like, you know, in some cases a phone. And, and I think that's where it gets really interesting. You know, when you've got like something like ChatGPT that can run on your phone or something locally and no data is being sent to anywhere. So from a privacy point of view, it's really kind of powerful, but also just like from a speed point of view, it could be like really, really nice. And I think this is what's interesting is there is lots of work happening in how to optimize things so that you can run them on like, you know, much, much kind of like, you know, lower end hardware, the kind of consumer hardware that people actually have access to. And I think the variety that kind of is going on, the amount of different kind of projects, there are currently open source projects that, yeah. you know, well, yes, they're behind, but like that, that are coming. I, I think it, it will make for a kind of a good rich ecosystem. I think there'll be lots of competition with, even within those kind of projects of people kind of, um, compete against one another and learn from one another and collaborate within the open source community, something that obviously isn't going to happen between, I don't know, Google and OpenAI when there's so much money at stake. So yeah. I, I kind of like, I, I kind of, I'm hoping that th that kind of process wins out and it becomes a very kind of like open, you know, you can choose what you use, you can choose where you run it, where you host it. Obviously, like Hugging Face has infrastructure that we sell, but if you wanted to go to Azure or you wanted to go to GCP, you know, that kind of portability, no one else can give you that. Only really like open source can can sure. give you that. You know, you see this with vendor locking with other things as well. And this is a yeah. you know another thing that becomes a concern is, oh, but if I fall out, you know, if you're an enterprise company and you <laughs> fall out with your whatever you're using, can you just switch to someone else? Well no in the case of open ai or something but if you're using something that's open source and it's good you can switch provider you can find efficiencies and that kind of thing hopefully someone else less expensive or market swap type thing yeah that's yeah. a great point well we could probably talk about this all day it's a whole nother podcast for sure but yeah. um i just want to thank you uh penguin for uh kind of showing me everything about uh, MD specs and uh, just in general for jumping on so quickly. I really appreciate it. And um, I can't wait to see the next version. Like I said, let me know. I'll help you out with the docs. That's great. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.
Absolutely. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.